So today, um, we're going to talk about discipline today. Um, another aspect of discipline. Discipline produces holiness. Now, we've been talking about discipline the last couple Sundays. And uh, discipline comes in both the form of corrective discipline, correction, punishment, correction. And then it also comes in a form of a learned behavior in that we develop a discipline called a habit and things of that nature. So discipline is very important. And we've already talked about discipline produce or proves love, that it's the way that God proves that he loves us through the fact that he takes the effort and the time to discipline us, just like you prove the love to your children by disciplining them. A disciplined, a disciplined child is a loved child. And uh, so discipline is very important in our life. And then we also talked about how discipline strengthens us, especially when we get into the learned behavior of discipline, good habits, things of that nature, how it can strengthen us to live a more victorious life, whether it's a life in our business world or our life in our Christian world, good discipline is very important and it's necessary. In fact, it's vital to a successful life. And today we're going to talk about how discipline produces holiness. Holiness. Big word. Has a lot to do with our living. And I think we're going to find out that we're going to be uh, very challenged as we go through this, this day today. In fact, let me just be honest with you, if I can be. Is it okay if I'm honest with you? <laughs> I appreciate you thinking it's okay for me to be honest with you. <laughs> this was a hard message for me this week. I'm going to tell you because it challenged me. Um, I can't study and give messages that don't impact my life. I have to walk the talk. Uh, otherwise, I'm just a, glang, a, a clanging symbol up here. And so this is, this is a big deal. And this was a big question in my life. Am I disciplined? It was a real examination this week. In fact, this whole series has been a tough one for me because it's easy to talk about it. It's not so easy to live it. And uh, so I wrestled this week with God's word. And, you know, wrestling with God's word is a good thing. It's a good thing when God's word hits you between the eyes and you've got to figure it out. You've got to deal with it. And you've got to wrestle with it on your own accord because it's not easy to wrestle with God's word. He always wins, by the way, just so you know that. He's going to pin you down. <laughs> you might sneak away for a minute, maybe get an escape, a point for an escape for those that are wrestlers. But I don't think you're going to pin his shoulders to the mat. I think you're going to end up on the mat pinned. But yet we can, we can justify ourselves. We can self-justify ourselves in a form of laziness. You know, that's... Lazy living is living the easy road, isn't it? You know what I'm talking about. I, I justify that I don't get up and read the Bible. I don't pray. I, I don't do what the Lord's impressing in my heart to do. Sometimes it's a, out of a sense of fear. Maybe it's a sense of I don't think God's going to come through for me. Or I think most of the time it's a, think, it's a, it's a thing of laziness, that we are just spiritually lazy. Um, Nah, maybe I'm speaking for myself here, not for you. But it's just something I deal with. And so it's, um, it's really important. But at the same time, we also have to recognize, too, that the enemy is a guilt machine. The enemy will bring guilt to our lives. 
And we need to know the difference between godly discipline and the enemy's guilt. We need to know the fact that God will bring a challenge to us. He will bring a conviction to us. And the enemy will bring a guilt to us and a condemnation to us. What's the difference? Can you, de- can you define the difference between something that you feel guilty of as a motivator or something that the Holy Spirit's given you a conviction in your life as a motivator? Two different things, two different results. We need to know, we need to understand that God loves us enough to bring convictions to our heart that would change our action, change our behavior, and give us a learned behavior that would be different than the world. And we have to know, too, that when the devil brings his condemnation, it's to tell you how bad you are and how much you've messed up. And to bring you into further condemnation, to to take you away from godly living take you away from getting in the word because he would condemn you to say why even start now you're such a loser you can't even begin to start so just stop you see there's a difference you have to understand what's motivating you are you being motivated by the love that you have for god or are you being motivated of the condemnation of the enemy and when the enemy brings condemnations just stay, say no to him stand up to him and say no you cannot bring condemnation into my life Yeah, I'm not perfect. I get that. But I'm not condemned either. So we need to have that balance. We need to understand the difference between God giving you a conviction and the enemy bringing bringing you condemnation. So we're talking about godly discipline today. Godly discipline. And so whenever I talk about this or think about it, I have a couple questions that come to my mind. First of all, why is discipline important? Why? Why is corrective discipline important? Why is learned behaviors important? And I think that we need to understand the answers to this. We need to make sure that we don't allow this to go unanswered. And we're going to try to answer it again today. We answered it all a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to answer it again today. Then the other question is, what's the purpose for godly discipline? What's his end result? Why is he doing it? Do you appreciate these questions? Do you understand what these questions are, why they're so important? You see, the reason why I think they're important is because we need to understand God's plan and his purpose for our life and understand that God's, one of his major purposes, one of his major ways of bringing um, a change into our life is through discipline. And discipline can be hard. I'm going to tell you right now, discipline is not pleasant. It says so, doesn't it, in, in, in Hebrews 12, which has been our text? It's not pleasant in the time being, but in the end it produces righteousness and holiness and such. But it's, it's difficult. And so when we find ourselves being disciplined by God, we need to know that we need to, first of all, say, what, God, why are you disciplining me? Why is it important? And what's your purpose in it? Because if I understand that, then I have a better way of dealing with it. If I don't understand that, then I will tend to run away from it. I will tend to shun it. I will tend to um, see it as a bad thing that's happening to me, a woe is me thing, a pity party thing, and I will miss the point altogether. And that's what the enemy wants you to know. That's what he wants you to think. When things come into your life that could be godly discipline, he doesn't want you to look at it in a good way. He wants you to think, well, it's not necessary. God's discipline's not necessary, so therefore figure a way to get out of it. 
um, he said he, in, in, in the enemy's way, it's God's way of, of, of religious leaders and pastors manipulating you to do something or a teacher to get you to do a certain thing. It's a manipulative tool that, that people are trying to control you with. The enemy will ask you to avoid it. He'll run away from it. Don't listen to it. And if you're in a church that talks about it, find another church. Get out of that church after talking about discipline. Get away from it. That's what the enemy will try to say. And this is why Paul says this. Because of the days that we're living in, Paul says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. It says, For the time will come when people will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Is that the day that we're living in? Are we seeing this happening? Now, I want you to know that this passage and what I'm talking about today is just not for the Assemblies of God people. (laughs) But this also is the same standard for those in the Reformed Church, the same standard for those in the Methodist Church, the same standard for those in the Baptist Church, the same standard for those in the Catholic Church or the Episcopalian Church or the Presbyterian Church. You name the denomination, God's standard does not change per denomination. His truth goes across all denominations. And for those that are trying to change God's truth because it fits their particular strategy or their social justice, whatever that is, It's not right. God's truth permeates all religions. So this is not just an AG thing. It's it's a common, it is the church teaching here, what we're talking about. Godly discipline goes across all barriers, all forms. Does that make sense? Do you agree with me on that? Am I going to see you next Sunday? (laughs) Remember, I'm not preaching next Sunday, so it's a mom's rose for mom, so it's safe. Come back next Sunday. It'll be safe next Sunday, I promise you. We need to understand God's purpose and discipline so that we can trust it, that we can accept it, and we can apply it even when it's difficult. Because I'm going to tell you right now, it is going to be difficult. And if I said anything else, I'd be lying to you. Godly discipline in the form of corrective action and good behaviors is going to change your life. And it's going to make you uncomfortable at some point in your life. So get ready for it. If I don't say that, then I'm just trying to itch your ears. And I don't want to do that. I want to tell you the truth in love because that's what God wants us to do. So what is God's purpose for discipline? What is it? Well, our text today will tell us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. What a powerful passage. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, that your challenge is real. And I thank you that it goes across all boundaries. And so, Father, I just invite your Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and discernment to teach and to learn and to hear what you would have us to say and hear. And, Lord, that we would make no compromise and no apologies for your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is the purpose for godly discipline? Well, I'm going to give you the answer up front, and then we'll talk about it. 
The purpose of godly discipline is to produce holiness. Write that down. It's in your notes. By the way, I have notes in the back, and I have them because some people like to doodle. (laughs) And if you're doodling, it makes me think you're taking notes. So anyway, God's purpose of godly discipline is that it produces holiness. There is no ulterior agenda here. There is no bait and switch. This is no manipulation. This is the honest to God truth. The plain facts is that God desires holiness and discipline produces it. Here's the question I think that we have to ask before we can move forward. Do you want it? Is it important to you to be godly disciplined? Is it important to you to be holy? Do you desire it? Because if you don't desire it, then you might as well walk out. Because this isn't going to do you any good. If you don't desire it, then there's nothing anybody can do to change it, including God. The power of your choice is so powerful that if you don't desire holiness, you won't be holy. No matter what you listen to, no matter what music you listen to, no matter what teaching you have, no matter what Bible you read, if you don't want it, you won't have it. Because it's up to us to develop it. Now, I'm going to explain that a little bit more. I'm not trying to say that we're going to be, you know, saving ourselves. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that God gives us a lot of accountability. He gives us a lot of responsibility. Do you know why? Because we're created in his image. He gives us a mind to use. He gives us a will to control things. He, he gives us that so that we can use it to prove to him that we appreciate his discipline the way he proves he loves us through discipline. We prove his, that we love him through listening to him and through changing and through changing our lives and accepting his plans for our lives. I know people, a few people, I don't know how many people, but a few people, and you know people like this too, that claimed that they know God. And they claimed they know Jesus. Do you know of people like that? Maybe some are sitting in this room. I don't sure. But you know, the question is, do they have a relationship with him? Listen, I know a lot of people that I don't have a relationship with. I know the president. I don't have a relationship with him. I know my senators, I know my congressmen, but I don't have a relationship with them. I know of people in this town, but I don't have a relationship with them. So it's not who I know. And some of those people even know me. But that doesn't mean we have a relationship. Do you see the difference between knowing somebody and having a relationship with them? How important is a relationship? You see, knowing a person is not the same as having a relationship with them. Because God can be known. God can be talked about. Jesus can be talked about. People can claim to know Jesus. But if there is no holiness in the person, then there is no relationship. That's not my words. That's the words of the Bible say that. And I'm just saying what the Bible says. And I'm not judging people. I'm just laying the standard out. I'm just giving the standard. If you want to have a relationship with God, you must be holy. 
A person must be holy if there's a relationship with God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best that they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might do what? Read it with me. Share in his holiness. God's discipline has to take root in us. We have to accept it if we are going to share in his holiness. Discipline is a path to God that goes beyond the intellectual knowledge of our mind. And this is the battleground of the enemy. Our mind is the battleground of the enemy because as long as he can keep us shallow, superficial, never allowing God's word to settle in and really grow in us, we will never mature and will never grow up beyond a day's worth of spirituality and quite possibly never even never be able to share in God's holiness because it's so much more than praying the prayer. It's so much more than just coming up to the altar and having somebody to pray for you and say, you're a child of God now. There's so much more. And I'm not saying that we're adding to this. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we have to learn what it means to live it. Because if we don't, bad things are going to happen. James, James, the writer James, is the half-brother of Jesus. <laughs> and whenever I read James, I can't help but think about that. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He lived with Jesus. He didn't accept Jesus. He thought Jesus was just his brother that was kind of crazy for a long time until Jesus died and rose, up, rose again and came back to life, and then he became a believer after the fact. But he writes a very important book in the Bible. And he says this about how our faith must have action in it if we're going to be disciplined and if we're going to have a relationship with Jesus. James chapter 2, verse 17 through 19, he says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And here's the key, verse 19. You believe that there is one God. Well, so what, is really what he's saying. So what? Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Even the demons believe in one God. Even the demons believe in Jesus. But that doesn't give them a relationship. How many people in America claim to be Christians without a relationship? Come on. How many people claim to have a relationship without, with God but have no, have no holiness, have no standard of discipline in their life? See, even though Satan and all of his demons know who Jesus is, they are reserved for an eternal destiny in the lake of fire. And so is everyone else that has that same shallow understanding, intellectual understanding of who God is. Head knowledge isn't enough for us. Let me just tell you that. Head knowledge of claiming to have a relationship with God, but yet not allowing his discipline to settle into your life and to change some things in your life is not good enough. 
Do you want to know that? You don't know why? This is this. I'm going to read to you the scariest verse in the Bible. This to me, and probably some of you that know the Bible know where I'm going. It's in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform, perform many miracles? Then I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. If that doesn't put a little trepidation in your life, you, it, then you're not alive. <laughs> then you're not reading the same Bible I'm reading because this passage is very telling. And... Um, I don't want to give you this so that the devil can play games with you. I want to tell you this because this is a way as a way that we have to honor and live about look at our life but how are we living with Christ? Do we really want a relationship with him and do we have one? Because according to Jesus's words here, there are people that believe they are living right and they won't know they're not until they die man let's just hop to next week a rose for mom okay (laughs) let's just skip this week but i'm telling you guys this is important because this is why godly discipline is so critical in our lives today that we need to accept his discipline and that that leads to holiness now in our lives why we have the opportunity there's so much more to talk about in this passage. I'm not going to get in and talk about it right now because, you know, there's a lot here that there's good questions. How can a person perform miracles and then not be in Christ? How can a person prophesy and not be in Christ? There's some good questions here, and they're answerable. I'm just not going to take the time to do it because that's not the purpose of today's message. But the, de- the devil comes as an, as an angel of light. Just let me tell you that. The, the devil can come in a way to deceive people. But the point here is that if we're going to have relationship with our Father in heaven, we need to have a holy relationship. It must be based on God's holy standards. So the beginning of our pursuit of godly holiness begins with our repentance and forgiveness of our sin. That's where it begins. It doesn't begin in you you picking yourself up by your bootstraps. It doesn't begin anything about yourself. It all begins with Christ. It begins with his forgiveness and your repentance. But after we go through that forgiveness and repentance, now we begin a lifestyle. It beca- it is, it's, it's where we now have to go through. We have to invite a deep clean in our heart. We come to Jesus as we are. Let me just tell you that you come as you are. He loves you the way you are, but he also loves you enough not to leave you the way you are. He loves you enough to, to clean you up and move you in a path of righteousness. So we come to him, we ask for forgiveness, we repent of our sin, and then we say, change me, Father. Change me. Do a deep clean in my soul. Do a deep clean in my spirit that I desire a holy relationship with you. That's, that's the process. So I want to go back to our text again 
and I want to read it, and then I want to talk about some of the responsibilities that we have. It says, Hebrews 12, work at living. This is the New Living Translation. It says, work at living in peace with everyone, and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. This translation gives us some responsibility. Work at living a holy life. Work at living in peace with everyone. Now, I think that we probably can do a pretty good job if we really work hard at living at peace with people. Can't we? I mean, I think that we can be nice people. We can be nice, good social people. And I think we can live at peace with most people. That's a good thing. But it's not enough. It's not enough. He goes on to say, we need to be holy. We need to work at being holy. So now I've, this brings up a good question. How do we, be, how do we live and how do we be holy? How do we do this? Well, first of all, what does holiness mean? Let's define the word. What does holiness mean? To be holy means that we are set apart, that we are to be honorable for God's use. What this means is that we are to be morally pure, spiritually whole, separated from evil, dedicated to God and set apart for his purpose. <laughs> wow. Tall order, huh? But you know, you don't have to do it. Your own. You can't do this on your own. I want you to know this. This isn't something that we can self-attain. But it is something that we can be and we can live. You see, we aren't brought into this world this way. You weren't born from your mother's womb holy. You were cute and you were cuddly but you weren't holy. And you know that because just anybody have grandchildren or children? What was the first word they knew? No. <laughs> Mine. Yeah. You see, we just, we grow up and, and did you teach him the word no? Did you teach him the word mine? No, they just knew it. They just grew into it. You see, and if, if, if that's what we are, then if we don't have any change in our life, then we're going to grow up and to be a pretty debased person all about ourselves, all about sin. Our default growth is nothing close to being holy. I'm telling you right now. Our default condition, our adult situation, unless we do something to change our, our, our life, we are not going to be set apart for godly purposes on our own. There is a supernatural redemption that has to happen. But through God's grace and through our receiving of God's grace, he takes out all of the moral contaminated conditions of a sinful lifestyle and he saves us, he cleans us, and then he sets us apart for righteousness. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 7 Titus says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, what did he do? He saved us. He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. You see, because we weren't holy, 
We were anything but holy, but yet in his love and mercy, he saved us. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for that. Amen. I appreciate that. See, this is the easy part. This is the easy part of being holy because up to this point in time, it's not about us. It's, a, it's completely the work of the Holy Spirit that is re, rejuvenating us, given it, that's redeeming us, saving us when we didn't deserve to be saved. That's the easy part. However, this is just the beginning of our life. This is just the beginning of our pursuit of living a life pleasing to our Father. See, what we just described here is positional holiness. Positional holiness is what we inherit the moment that we're saved. The moment you get saved, you're holy in position to God. The moment you get saved, you're, you're going to heaven. You don't need to attain anymore. You don't, need to, you don't even need to get water baptized. Now, you should. That's the commandment of the Lord, if you could, get water baptized after you're saved. But the thief on the cross didn't. And where, where did he spend his eternity? Where is he right now? The thief on the cross right now is where? In paradise, in heaven with Jesus, because Jesus said, today you will be with me. So that's positional holiness. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. In the NLT, it says, Don't you realize that, you, that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people. Boy, there's a lot of people there, right? None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And then verse 12 says something really good for us. In verse 11, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Positionally now, you're holy because of salvation, because of the work that Jesus did for you, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, you're holy. That's day one. <laughs> That's day one of salvation. But now there's something that we have to do. Now, after that great day of our life, now we have to move on because we can't stay there. This begins the process of practical holiness, or in spiritual words, sanctification. Sanctification. Sanctification is really defined as the process of being set apart, making yourself holy, being holy, set apart to God. Sanctification is a lifelong pursuit. It doesn't happen overnight. You are positionally sanctified. You are positionally holy. But now the process of sanctification is, it, what it means is that we are, it's a pursuing of holiness so that our positional holiness moves into a practical holiness because now we practice being holy. We practice being set apart for God's word. And we become those things that God is pleased with so that we can have relationship with him. Do you understand what that means? Do you understand the difference between positional holiness 
and practical holiness or sanctification for those religious people. This is where godly discipline engages in the lives of believers. It's when the learned behavior of pursuing God at all expense, pursuing God without compromise, pursuing God because you know that he's the only way that we can maintain this relationship is with a holy relationship with him. It's a pursuing of godliness in our life. First Peter chapter 1 says in verse 14, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I'm holy. So now we're really seeing God's command to us and that we don't have a choice in the matter. If we're going to be godly, if we're going to be part of his family, we have to be holy. We have to be set apart. You see, God, Peter identifies us as obedient children. Obedient children are the ones that obey. Right? <laughs> Obvious statement. Obedient children, obedient children are the ones that obey. Who, in other words, these, these are the ones that refuse to give in to the evil and the sinful desires of a fleshly lifestyle. And in so doing, they move from a, from a, a, a state of ignorance but they're transformed into a life of desiring to be holy. We're set apart. This is the daily choice to be ever increasingly effective in our fight against sin. Because I'm telling you guys, we're never going to be clear of this until the day we die. This is going to be a battle in our lives forever. And I'm not saying that to discourage you. I'm saying that to make you realize what you're up against. We all are up against this. And we all have to recognize that this is a daily battle in our lives to be holy. But we can do this. We don't have to be part of the worldly system. In fact, here's a way to do this, to, be a, to, be, to break the bond of the worldly system. Be smart in how and who you identify with. Don't put yourself in positions where you are unequally yoked. Listen to this passage, First, Second Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 14 through 18, it says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. This is what we do. Therefore, therefore, I say all that to say, therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Now, saying that right there gives God the authority to discipline. A loving father disciplines. Do you see how the Bible ties this all together? That if we're going to be godly, if we're going to be in the church, if we're going to have a relationship with God, then we're going to be disciplined and we're going to have to have a, live a life of discipline. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Remember, when, they, when this was written, there was no chapter and verses. So chapter 7, verse 1, is a continuation of what I just read. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Another therefore... 
Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. This is not condemnation guilt as a motivator. This is the fear of the Lord, love, reverence, motivation to be holy. And I don't think this point is emphasized enough in the church. I don't think that most pastors or most churches emphasize how important it is that we have this standard of holiness in our lives. And, you know, here's the deal. Most of us aren't coming out of a lifestyle of moral failures. I get that. You know, I don't, has anybody robbed a bank lately? Anybody, uh, you know, done anything really bad lately? I, I don't think so. I think we're pretty, pretty good people. But pretty good people isn't enough. Pretty good isn't enough. Pretty good isn't what God is looking for. What God is looking for is holiness. Holiness is the mark of a genuine Christian. 1 John 3, 9 through 10. 1 John 3, 9 through 10. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they, have, because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously, does not love other believers, does not belong to God. So understand what John is saying and what he's not saying here. Because this can be confusing. Those who have been born into the family of God do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning. So some people look at this and say, well, once you're saved, always saved, you can't sin. Once saved, always saved, you, 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 that it's not going to separate you from God. That's not what he's saying at all here. What he's saying is that, what, that a child of God can't remain a child of God if they keep on sinning. If you practice sin, then you're going to take yourself away out of God's holiness. You have a positional holiness at salvation. But if you don't practice that and, and, and sanctify yourself, then you can take yourself out of that position of holiness. And I know that there are some churches that argue with this too. That they will say, once saved, always saved. Once I'm saved, I can't fall out of God's grace. I don't believe that. I don't think that's got what God's word says. Because we always have a choice to love him on a regular basis. And that's our responsibility to love him. And I'm not saying work, we're not saved by works. Don't get me wrong. We're saved by God's grace and grace alone. But once I'm saved, now I want to please him. I want to be, as, as the writer said earlier, I want to be an obedient child. I want to do the things that please my father so that he's proud of me, that he's pleased with me, that he smiles upon me. That's what it means to be holy. Does this make sense? Are we, are we okay? If we are, Jackie, would you come, please? Because now that they're okay with me, we can end. Listen, I, I know we spend a lot of time in God's Word, and I'm, that's the plan, by the way. We're always going to spend time in God's Word. Um, it is tempting. I will say this. It is tempting as a pastor that we can get on these hard words and just quickly talk about them and get, and get, beyond, get beyond that subject, get to the next one, like rose from arms, right? I get that. But, you know, if we don't take the time to dig into these hard words, then you're not being fed a healthy diet. 
And it's my job. You pay me the big bucks so that I do this, so that I step on your toes. That's why you pay me. And holiness is not something that we can do on our own. This is not something that we can self-promote in our life to say, cry out, I'm holy. It's not about that. It's not about perfection in our efforts. Can I just say that? Let me give you, let me, let me give you a little grace here. You're never going to be perfect. But you can always be forgiven. If you live a life of repentance, if you live a life of desire to be perfect as God's perfect, that's the key. It's a process. It's a process of daily living with a desire to please my Father. And when I mess up, I'm quick to ask for forgiveness. Not just to my Father, but even to people. If I say something I shouldn't say to someone, if I do something that I shouldn't do, I have to go back to that person and make it right. I have to say, I'm sorry I offended you. I'm sorry I did that stupid thing. I'm sorry, Father, that I disobeyed you today. See, that's holiness. The pursuit of holiness is what he's after because he knows who we are. He knows how you're created. He knows your weak points. Only Jesus was perfect. But yet we can have a perfect desire. That's the question what I asked at the beginning. Do you want to be holy? Do you want to be? Because if you don't want to be, you're not going to be. But if you want to be, and if you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, you can be. That's the good news of the gospel, is that you can be holy if you want to be. If you allow God to do the work, settle in deep in your heart and to train you, train me. It's all about godly discipline that produces holiness. Matthew 5, 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's a desire to be holy as he's holy. The question for us, is that what you want? Is that what you're striving for? Is that your goal in life? Close your eyes with me. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, you give us some really hard words in your Bible. And you don't do so because you're a hard God, you're a mean God. You do so because you love us so much that you want us to know your requirements. You want us to know your standards. And you're there to help us to live according to your standards if we will invite you in. So this morning, as you're sitting here or maybe watching online later this week, what is your heart? Where are you at? Are you desiring holiness? Are you desiring a relationship with God? Not just to know Him, but to truly have a relationship with Him. 
Because that passage I read in Matthew chapter 7 is a real passage. There are going to be people that are going to get to that day and God's going to say, I don't know you. You might think you know me, but I don't know you because you didn't become holy, because you wouldn't surrender yourself on earth. Therefore, I have no choice. In fact, you've made the choice. Now, I have to just give you your rewards, which would be a punishment at that point. So we're going to have communion today, but before we do this, we need to make sure that we're holy. We need to make sure that we're worthy, not because of our own doing, but because of forgiveness and repentance. So close your eyes again with me and just pray this prayer. But you know, no, I'm not going to say that. You pray your prayer. I can't pray for you. I can't give you the words because if I give you the words, they don't mean anything. You pray your words of of asking Jesus to forgive. Whatever that means, take the next couple minutes and say, Father, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Lead me. Guide me. Discipline me. Give me a life of discipline thereafter. Now we invite you to go with us throughout this day. We invite you to walk with us as we go through our life, out these doors today and into our lives. God, I pray that that we'll take you with us, that we'll share Jesus to those around us, that we will be the eyes and ears and the hands and feet of Christ to the world that we go into today and throughout this week. We honor you, we praise you, we give you praise in all things. And everyone said, amen, amen. Be blessed. Have a great day.